uh, mentor, uh, one who loves the Lord, and uh, he, he told me, he said, Don, don't give me a long introduction. And I'm not going to give a long introduction, but just for those of you perhaps are visiting with us today, and those who have been here for a period of time, most of you know Pastor Larry Albanese. Uh, Pastor Albanese uh, was a part of the 32nd Liberty Church uh, through a mirac- miracles and God's blessing, um, moving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, they experienced a great revival. God extended their vision. They pulled up their tent stakes and enlarged their tents and came up here on Oliver Road and through a number of answered prayers, built this facility. Uh, and the congregation has been blessed with that ever since. And it's always been a joy and delight for me to be able to, to just have some times to sit down. Uh, we've been able to sit down over some breakfast, and almost, they almost turn into lunch. It's like about a two-hour breakfast. We just get to talking, and uh, neither one of us knows when to, to say enough is enough. Pastor Albanese, come uh, this morning. We welcome you, and come and share God's Word with us today. Thank you. It's very nice to be received like this, and I'm just delighted with my wife to be here and praising the Lord for His faithfulness. I have one disadvantage. You can see me, but it's difficult to see you because the uh, lights, this is the way it goes, and the lights are right beaming on my eyes. So I want you to know that I know you're there, and I want you to know that I am here. And uh, I've come to you with uh, a word uh, that I have used more than once because of the times in which we are living. We're living in some very precarious days. I really believe that the indicators point to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. It's not something postponed. Things are marching on and moving on, and it's time for the church to realize Christ is coming soon. And it's time for the church to get ready. It's time for us to get ready for the coming of the Lord. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. And I would suggest don't buy any books that tell you that He's coming in, at the year 212. Uh, just save your money. We don't know when He is coming. All we know is it's coming closer and closer. And to be frank with you, years ago when I was saved, quite some time ago, I thought the Lord wasn't going to come before I got married. And I said, Lord, I want to get married before you come. You know, when you're young, you think about that. I thought the Lord was coming. Then we went to Bible school. I was sure He was coming soon, sooner than I had thought. Well, he hasn't come yet, but I can tell you one thing. It's closer now to his coming than it was back then when I thought the way I thought. He is coming. We live in precarious times, friend, in difficult days. Very, very difficult. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We know that these are trying times. And we have a word from the Lord, and this book, the Word of God, is so substantial It tells us, it feeds us, it protects us, it guides us, it leads us, it gives us insights, it gives us wisdom. This is the Word of God. 
The Word of God that is sure for eternity. The Word of God that stands. You know that when you read about Peter, James, and John, how they went up into the mountain when Jesus was being transformed. And they were up there and they had that marvelous revelation. They saw Jesus transformed physically. They also saw Elijah and Elisha and uh, Moses, the two of them up there. And it was a marvelous experience. It was undaunting. It was just great. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody about this. And then they came down, kept it quiet. But then when Peter wrote his epistle, he went to say that in the last days things would happen and so forth. And he said this, and I read it to you out of the book of Peter. And he wrote this marvelous, wonderful word. I hadn't planned to preach on that part, but I'll bring it out now. And here it says that uh, he had received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a word to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. And what that all boils down to is this. Peter says, I was on that mount. I saw Jesus transformed. I saw Moses. I saw Elijah. I heard the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son. And I have James and John as witnesses to what we experienced that day. It was phenomenal. It was real. It was of God. But then he says here in this verse, we have a more sure word of prophecy where to you do well to take heed. In other words, he is saying this, that was a marvelous experience. But you can't build your salvation and your Christian life on that. You have to build it on the Word because the Word of God is a more sure Word than any experience we have. It's the Word of God that is foundational. So the Word of God, and Peter's telling us, the Word of God is more important than what we saw up on that mountain, as wonderful as it was. And friends, we have to abide within the Word because it's the Word that is going to lead us through the darkened days that are coming. There are darkened days that are coming. Things are happening. And we have to go back to the Word. This Word is our anchor. It is the Word that will sustain us through whatever may come down the pike. And I'm sure you're aware of the fact that there are things that will be coming down the pike as we get closer to the coming of the Lord. Well, I want to share with you this morning about a certain man, a prophet, a man of God. His name is Habakkuk. Habakkuk the prophet in the Old Testament was a man of God, and he was a a wonderful prophet of God. He was a good man, but he had problems, not problems that we think about Family, family problems and domestic things, none of that. He had a problem within his own heart, within his own mind. Habakkuk was a man who looked at life 
And he asks some serious questions. He doesn't understand. And some of the things that bother him are the things that are happening today in our country and will continue to happen. It's just not going to blow away anymore because we're getting, as I said earlier, close to the coming of the Lord. And so Habakkuk, the man of God, has some questions and he's concerned. And what is giving him concern is that the Chaldeans are now coming and invading Israel. They would take them into the captivity. And he's concerned about this. He said, Lord, I just don't understand something. We are the children of God. We're the children of Israel. And I don't understand why it is that you're bringing judgment down on the people of God by the Chaldeans, which is today's Iraqis. He said, I don't understand that. I don't understand, Lord, why you would bring judgment on your people by the ungodly. I can't figure that out. It bothers me. And he was concerned. He was so concerned that the verse opens up in chapter 1 with verse 1, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. This is a burden. He's got a burden for the people of God. This is a man who is a prophet called of God, but he's concerned from what he sees. Oh God, why would you bring judgment on God's people when they love you and want you, and yet they're disobedient? Why, oh God, are you allowing this to happen? And so Habakkuk has a burden. This is what the book opens with. A burden. And it says here, Habakkuk, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did have. The burden. You don't hear the term anymore that we are people of the burden. The burden of the things of God. The burden of prayer. We don't think of that as much as we used to do it years ago. The burden. What is the burden of the Lord? You're carrying the burden of God. What is the burden of the Lord? It is having a concern for the things that concern God. We need to be concerned about the things that concern God today because if we don't bear that burden, the world certainly is not going to bear it. They don't know anything about that. And so the prophet is burdened. I've got this I've got this burden. It bothers me. It is in my heart, in my soul. I don't understand it. And I don't understand why God would use the ungodly to punish His people. I can't understand that, oh God. I don't, I can't grasp it. And so He is burdened, concerned, concerned about the things of God, concerned about the future of the people of God because they're going into 70 years of captivity. He doesn't understand it. He's concerned. But he doesn't know what to do. Here he is carrying this burden. Such a wonderful man of God. And he is a little angry and he's a little upset. The prophet of God. You know, prophets do get upset. There are times when prophets are upset for what they see. And when they do that, we don't see it happening today. They call fire down out of heaven. And uh, it happens that they burn up the people too. You remember the story of Elijah? He was resting, getting a suntan, and uh, there were men coming to get him from the other side. They, they weren't of the household of Israel. 
And he sat up, he called fire down out of heaven, and he burned 50 of them. And then uh, they sent another crowd after him. And again, he was disturbed. He sat up and he called down the fire and he consumed another 50 men. So prophets do have concerns and burdens. And Habakkuk was such a man. So he has questions. He's got three questions. This is the burden. His burden are these questions. Really, what it is, it is the conflict of faith with the realities of life. He just doesn't understand it. The conflict we have in our faith, which you're going to see and hopefully get a little clearer on that this morning, the conflict of faith with the realities of life. You know, we love the Lord, we serve the Lord, we're excited about Him, and then, bam, we get slammed by the realities of life. And then we try to bring together the reality of life with the conflict of our faith because we believe God can do anything. We believe there's nothing impossible to God. And so there's this conflict in his heart and mind, and he's got questions. He was all upset about the Chaldeans, that God would use them against the children of Israel. And now he's concerned. He says, God, I have a couple of questions. I want to ask you something. Now, I know, I'm not being dis disrespectful, but I know, God, you might think I am, but I'm not. I have a question to ask you in verse 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear every cry out of thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? He's got his first question. He says, God, i got to ask you a question. How long does it take for you to answer a prayer? How long does it take? And I'm sure you've been there. You have prayed for something and you haven't got an answer. You have prayed again and again, God, I'm praying for this need. It doesn't seem to come. God, I am praying for the salvation of my husband. It doesn't seem to come. I'm praying for the salvation of my son. And it doesn't seem like it's happening. I have been praying and praying and praying. God, I don't understand. I am praying for these other needs that are out there. I am praying because of the burdens that I carry. I am praying that you deliver me from the circumstances at work, the circumstances in my neighborhood. I am praying and praying and praying, but you don't seem to answer my prayers. Why is it, God, you don't answer? Why does it take so long to get an answer from God? And I'm sure many of you can identify with that. How long does it take God to answer a prayer? It reaches a point where you kind of give up. You don't want to find fault with God. And in your mind you say, well, God has another plan maybe. Maybe. Maybe, how long is it going to take for God to answer? How long will it take before He heals me? And so we have that question. Habakkuk had that question. How long is it going to take for you to answer my prayer? And so that's his first question. Then he goes to his second question. Verse 3. 
Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. His question now is, why? Why, God? Why do you tolerate evil without justifying it? Why do you do it without judging it? Lord, why do you tolerate evil without bringing judgment on it? Lord, I see so many things going on where I live. Why don't you bring judgment? You know, we can't call down fire like Elijah did. God will take care of that. But why? Why does God tolerate evil? Why do you allow it? Why do you love the drug scene to go on? Why do you love, uh, allow rather, you allow all of this to happen? Why do you allow it to go on? Well, he was bothered by that. Why does God tolerate evil without judging it, bringing down fire? (laughs) Uh, I'm sure you had this. It's a little humorous. Sometimes I'm driving and a guy cuts in front of me. That's not a nice thing. And uh, it irks me. I'm probably the only one that gets irked like that. And he cut right in front of me. Oh, I don't know. What, what is he doing? All right. And then I think, Lord, did you see what he did? Did you see what this guy did? He cut right in front of me. And uh, then the Lord quickened the word to me. Really, he said, judgment is mine, he says. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And I said to the Lord, yeah, Lord, but when are you going to do it? (laughs) Yeah, I asked the Lord that. I talked to him. I said, when are you going to do it? And here's another thing. It might be three days from now. That guy will forget all about me. How's he going to know that when you judge him, it's because of what he did to me three days ago? Well, you outgrow that after a while. Why does God allow evil without judging it? That was the second question. Then he has a third question in verse 13. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? Question number three, wherefore, which means, for what reason, or for what purpose does God keep silent when the righteous are persecuted by the wicked? And then they laugh at you. Wherefore, for what reason or purpose do you keep silent and you just allow it to go on? Why is it you just go on and you see your children being misused and abused by the world at work, etc.? Why then? What's, what's the reason for that? And you're quiet. You don't do anything up there, God. Why, God? Why are you so silent? And so... Habakkuk's struggling. He's struggling with these questions. I just don't understand it. I'm a prophet. God speaks to me, but I can't, can't grasp this. And so finally he says, I've got to know, I've got to know what the answer is to this. So he's finding this. He wants to know this, basically. 
I want to know God's consistency with Himself. I want to know how God can retain that to Himself when it's opposite of everything He is. Why? I don't grasp it. How can the just and righteous God be consistent with with Himself in view of permitting evil to go on? Cheating, lying, the whole bit. Why does God do that? Why does He allow that? Well, He's perplexed. He's battled with that. He's struggled with it. Hasn't been able to sleep. Finally, He says, I am going to go before God and ask Him for an explanation. I want to know why. And I do know that when I go to God and I tell God that the Lord is going to rebuke me, but I've got to have an answer. Well, Habakkuk's perplexity takes him to God for an answer in chapter 2. And he says, I will stand upon my watch. And I will set me upon the tower and will watch to see what the Lord will say to me and what I shall answer Him when I am reproved. So he knows God is going to reprove him, but I need an answer. And God in His kindness is allowing this to happen for our benefit, to help us through this this maze of this world, this evil that we have to live in this world. And here we are. We are born into this world as sinners. Then we get saved. We love the Lord. We know the Lord. We have the Lord. And yet the conflict goes on because the earthly body that we were born with and that spirit of the world still is battling with it, with us. And then within us is the Spirit of God fighting that. And there's this constant conflict that goes on and on and on and on. And finally, he comes to this and says, God has a reason for all of this. And so he comes up and says, I'm going to ask God why. I'm going to ask God wherefore. And I'm going to ask God how long. And he goes, well, chapter 2, verse 3, the Lord answers him. And the Lord says unto him, And the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not tarry. So here's Habakkuk. And he discovers God answered and God said, Write that vision down and make it plain on the tables that he may run that reads it. In other words, write it down, put it in the Word of God for the saints of God down through the centuries that they'll have an understanding of this all. Now you go and do that. You go. And so he's wondering, I I don't grasp it again. And what it is, what God is telling him in verse 3 is this. The vision is for an appointed time. In other words, God has a time for everything. Everything's in control. Every issue, every problem you have, God has control of that problem. And He hasn't forsaken you. He will never forsaken you. He will hold on to you because He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake you. But he doesn't grasp it. He doesn't understand that. 
Habakkuk just doesn't. And so Habakkuk comes to realize now God's giving him a word. God has a time for everything. And in fact, what the Lord in essence is saying to him, that the last chapter has not yet been written. In other words, God is saying, Habakkuk, just sit still. There's something you need to know. And that is, the last chapter has not yet been written in this book. Oh, praise the Lord. That means there's hope because I'm still alive. The last chapter is written when you're gone. But while you're still here, the last chapter is not written yet. God has something to do yet. The last chapter hasn't been written yet in your life. And in the midst of all your problems and challenges, God still has His hands on you. And that last chapter has not been written yet. Usually the last chapter is the best one. And then God says, though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not tarry. You know, it takes a lot of patience to wait for God sometimes. Just a little story. Past was pastoring here in Ohio. Seventeen years down there. And so decided it was time to step aside, sell the house, and go on. So I moved out, put the house up for sale. Nice house, brand new, beautiful home. Had it for 17 years. Outstanding. Out the front, I guess, would be like uh, early American. Just a nice area. It was wonderful, beautiful house. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to help my retirement. You never can plan. And lo and behold, we put it up for sale. The same day the realtor put it up for sale, everything began to break down with GM. Because down there, GM is the, the big company. And so she put a price on the house. And I said, oh boy, that'd be great. Well, people came, and I can't understand it. This fella comes and he says to the realtor, well, this one room is too small. It was adequate for us. Another lady came and said, well, I don't like the way the, the kitchen is. I like it this way and that way. And another one came and they didn't like this. I said, Lord, I don't understand this. All these people are coming and no one is buying this house. And what happened? The price went down lower and lower and lower and lower till we could sell it. I wanted to get out of there. And lo and lo and behold, there it goes, goes down. And the word, the word, the verse kept coming to me. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. Meaning, be patient. It's going to sell. Yeah, when? <laughs> 20 months. 20 months waiting for that thing to sell. And the price went down, down, down. You know, it was a buyer's market. And it went down. I said, oh, man, this thing was driving me up a wall. My poor wife praying for me. I'm praying. Lord, I don't understand it. It's like it says here to Habakkuk. Though it tarry, though it tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not tarry. I kept quoting that scripture, kept reading that in my heart. Lord, Lord, when, when, when? And finally, we got an offer. I never met the couple, but I was impressed by how they did things. 
Very nice young couple. They're working for GM. They saw the house. They liked the house. They wanted the house. The price was proper, etc., etc. I'm all excited. And five days before the closing of the house, my realtor calls me and she says, I'm sorry, Reverend, to tell you that the couple has pulled out of it because he's afraid of what's happening at GM. Well, I couldn't blame him. I wasn't angry, but I was just... Not angry, but I was disappointed. And I was just eating my Friday meal. My in-laws were having dinner with us. I said, oh, brother. Oh, Lord, I was right there. I'd been tantalized. Though it tarry, you wait for it. I'm waiting. So it was over. I want to tell you what happened. I'm so disappointed not angry. It was a nice couple. They were fine people. Just disappointed. And so I prayed on Monday. This took place Friday. It was Sunday, Monday. And Monday morning, I got up for my usual prayer time and I said, Lord, would you be kind enough to send me a buyer within this week? I've waited all these months. Now I'm asking, would you give me a buyer within this week? Would you send someone? I wanted to get out of there. Well, nothing happened Monday. Nothing happened Tuesday. But on Wednesday at 3.15 a.m., something happened. At 3.15 a.m., I am awakened by a voice in the middle of the night and the voice spoke to me and said, that house is sold. I woke up. I was up. I heard that voice. It was a powerful voice. It even scared me. That house is sold. Now I had asked the Lord on Monday, do it within a week. That house is sold. Well, I woke up, left, didn't bother my wife, let her sleep. In the morning, I said, Cheryl, look how the Lord spoke to me. And I don't know, I believe it might have been an angel. Uh, I don't know, but I did hear that voice just as clear as you hear me. At any rate, she started dancing. <laughs> she started jumping. I said, Cheryl, I said, uh, this is, you know, thus and thus. She said, oh, I'm excited. That was God, Larry. That was God. I said, yeah, you're right, Cheryl. That is God. I'm not going to question. So nothing happened Thursday. Nothing happened Friday. Nothing happened Saturday. That one week, still within that framework of that week. Then on Sunday, we had our service and so forth and all of that. And on, in fact, I was living here. That's right at the time. So at Sunday uh, evening, we get a call around 7 p.m. My realtor calls me, says, Pat, Reverend, we didn't tell you, but we went ahead and we put it out there and it had open house. We have a buyer for you. Now, it's not going to be the price you were hoping for, but it's bad here. The best thing is for you to sell it. And I remember that word, uh, that that house is sold. Though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. 
And so I said, go ahead, give it to them, what they're asking. Just go ahead and do it. And praise God, it was sold. Though it tarried, and it tarried, and it waited, and I kept wondering, how long, how long? But though it tarried, wait for it, it will surely come. I want to tell you, God is never late, even though we may think He is late. And so, though it tarry, wait for it, it will surely come. And this is what God was trying to tell him. And then the Lord gives him this particular verse down here. And it says here, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, and the just shall live by his faith. Now's the answer. Now he's coming to understand God has a time for everything. Though it tarry, wait for it, it'll come. And now God gives him the real the real punch to it all. The just shall live by the faith and the faithfulness of God. The God is going to come. God is going to meet you, Habakkuk. But the just shall live by faith in the faithfulness of God. Not just by faith, but faithfulness in the faithfulness of God. God never fails His children. The just shall live by the faithfulness of God. We need faith in the faithfulness of God. In essence, I believe God. Amen. Now the next step is, and I believe the faithfulness of God, that as God, God is going to do the right thing at the right time because He never fails. Habakkuk is learning now. You put your trust into the faithfulness of God, that God will do what He said. The just shall live by faith in His faithfulness as God. That as God, He will do the right thing, even though we don't understand now. He will do it. And so God is saying, in essence, I am waiting for faith, Habakkuk. I am waiting for faith. And Habakkuk... You are waiting for an explanation. Habakkuk, I don't give, I don't need to give you an explanation. I need your faith. And God does not have to explain anything to anybody. God is God. God is under no obligation to explain anything to us. This is God. And if He wants to share with you, fine. But if He doesn't say anything, God does not owe us anything. We owe God. And that was His Word. You know, when I looked at some of this, why God? Wherefore? How long? Some of you may remember why. I want to take a moment on this. Down on 32nd Street one Sunday, a young couple, I don't know their names. If they walked in here, I would not remember them. And if they are here, I'd sure like to see you again. We were having service that Sunday morning. And I saw this couple come in with a beautiful little girl. Later found out she was 18 months of age. She was a doll. Oh, she was so precious. Just a little girl like this with white clothing. I guess it was her dress, her shoes, 
and she had a nice little hat of some sort. And her parents called me aside and they said, this is our daughter and uh, she is very sick. Doctors told us she does not have long to live. So when you say and question God, why? Why? And they may have wondered, why God? Why God would you let my beautiful little daughter linger in dying? Why? And they went to a church that didn't believe in you know, praying for the sick. We did. Doesn't mean every answer, every time we pray we get an answer. Doesn't mean that, but God does answer. They brought me that little girl, and I looked at her. I was moved. She was so pretty. And there she was. And I can still remember the podium was right here. Her parents brought her up and brought her up here. She walked up to about that last step. I looked at that little girl. Why? Why, God? And as I looked at her, I saw that little girl with tears in her eyes. She had a hanky in her hand. And she just didn't look right at my face, just a little up. And I saw her like this, wipe her tears so slowly on both sides. And then she folded her hands with the handkerchief. And I looked at her and I said something to her to encourage her. This young girl, 18 months of age, behaved and acted like a teenager. And what I mean in understanding. And she looked up at me and she nodded like this. Just like that. Why? Why does God allow that? Why? We don't know. But one thing we know, He does everything right. They brought her to me in the casket. The casket was nothing more than a styrofoam box this size. We had the service. That was one of the most wrenching funerals I've ever had in all my ministry. And I've had a number of Experiences, but that there to this day I see that little girl. And I, by the grace of God, you know, I look forward to seeing some of the saints of God that I've known over the years. And that little girl is one girl, by the grace of God, I'm going to look for in heaven. She's there. But again, why? All of these questions. Finally, it comes down to the very end. Habakkuk now sees God from his perspective. Habakkuk has heard from God and he understands this now. And Habakkuk says, Oh God, now I understand. Now you've opened my eyes. Now you've helped me to grasp the truth. You've given me insight to all of my questions. And now he reads and he says here at the last chapter 3, verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet 
I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will joy in the God of my salvation. Yet the Lord God is my strength. Yet He will make my feet like hinds feet. Yet He will make me to walk upon mine high places. Yet He will give me a song on my string instruments. So here He is. He's come to the point. He says, Oh, now I understand. Now I grasp what God meant and what He is doing and going and what He's about to be doing. Now I understand it. Even though the fig tree was an agricultural time. So He said, If all the fig trees are gone and they don't blossom, if all of the vines are gone and the wines and the olive, and it's gone and the olive oils and the yield of no more meat. He said, all of that is gone. I am still going to rejoice in God. How does that relate to me? Because I don't understand the whys, and I don't understand the wherefores, and I don't understand why it takes them so long to answer prayer. But right now, that does not matter anymore. What matters now is the fact that God has given me peace and a spirit of victory through all of that. So I don't question God, is what Habakkuk says. I don't care how long it takes God to answer prayer. I don't care if God doesn't answer prayer. I don't care about the other requests either. I don't care about any of them. Not at all. And he says, from here on out, he says, I have the rest of faith. In my heart, there's a rest. I believe God. I'm at peace. And even though I see all of the havoc around me, he says, I have peace. I have joy. I have joy. I'm singing and praising the Lord. I have the strength of faith. I have that. I even have now the walk of faith. I have the hinds feet. Why, I can go up a mountain with all of its problems in the Spirit victoriously, just like a mountain goat with its hinds goes right up. He said, I can do the same in the Lord and in the Spirit. And then I have the song of faith. I have the song of faith. I can sing. Oh, the circumstances are bad. And I've lost my song back there, but now I have a song. So no matter what happens, if our finances are going to be locked up, maybe the banks will only issue so much, Unemployment is increased. Circumstances look very bleak. Things coming down the road don't look very rosy. How am I to address that in the days in which we live? How do we handle that? Our economy now is really difficult. We don't have a backup. There's no more gold standard. We're printing out money, using money, and we don't have the support for that. Nations are afraid now to invest in our country. What's going to happen to us? As it says here, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and all of these things happen, and some of these things are going to happen, they will happen. It's going to be a walk, work down the, down the road here, but it's going to happen. 
We have to wake up to that fact. What are we going to do? Habakkuk says, I'm going to have rest over this. I'm going to still have my faith, and I'm going to rejoice in my faith. I'm still going to have the strength that my faith gives me. I'm still going to walk with God and not get angry with God. If I wake up one day and find out the banks are closed, I'm still going to trust God. And I'm still going to go on singing to the Lord. I'm not going to allow the enemy to take and rob me of my song. That's where it brings us to today, friends. So you keep in mind this as I bring it to a close. Though we have lost all in this world, if that day comes, we lose everything we have in this world. We have actually lost nothing if we have not lost God. What may come down the pike, the problems that may come, the, the things that may come, one thing for sure, we have lost nothing if we have, lo- if we have not lost God. We have Him in spite of what the circumstances are. And so the book opened with a burden. He said, I have this burden. And the book closed with a song. Here's the prophet of God, the man who's to bring us a word. He now has come to the point where the burden has rode off. He no longer has the burden. It's rode off. Now, he has a song because it says here to the chief singer on my stringed instrument, now I have a song. I can praise the Lord. Singing, I go down life's path, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. My faith and my experience and my salvation is not predicated upon my circumstances nor my bank account. It is predicated on the faithfulness of God. So, Habakkuk comes to this last word. He is no longer dependent on what God does. Doesn't matter to him what God does. Not at all. He is not anchored in what God does. Habakkuk is anchored in who God is. He is anchored there. And he has absolute faith in the integrity of God that God will do the right thing at the right time time in your life. And you may be wondering and saying, Lord, why me? Why me? A minister friend of mine, he was getting ready to go to Bulgaria to teach there. and He was funding everything, missions. He was ready to go and he didn't feel well. California. And he went to see the doctor. Everything's ready. He saw the doctor. doctor looked at him, examined him. And here's what the doctor said to him. You came too late. He said, what do you mean? He says, you've got six weeks. And he walked out of there. And the doctor was accurate. It was six weeks to the day. Why? Otis Keener was the man. Why? Why? In fact, I had to fill his slot, take his place to preach. Why? 
And I bring that subject, why? Because I know some of you are hurting because of circumstances, etc., in your lives. Bring it to Him and lay it at the altar. Would you stand, please? I've not having any music, but I would like to open this altar. I'm going to pray, and those of you who would like to come and just stand here, we'll come down and pray for you. And now, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promise. We thank You, Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to be established in the Word that You will encourage hearts here, lives that have been touched by the Word today. May You be glorified, and may they also be encouraged for Your glory. And in Christ's name we pray, Amen. So those who'd like to come, and stand here and we'll pray for you. Would you come now and we'll pray that God will touch you. The rest of you, God bless you as you go.